You could have watched Barcelona PSG, but you didn't. And now you're here, listening to the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and while we do not have our New England Owl, Justin DeSorger, with us, I was inspired by his pastry-inspired beer last week. So I raised the bar a little bit with the dessert beer game, went back to my old friends at Alvarium Beer Company in New Britain, Connecticut, and got the Hoff, which I just realized before we started recording, is a reference to David Hasselhoff, because he is very popular in Germany. And this is an Imperial Coconut Black Forest Cake Porter, brewed with cherry, coconut, cacao nibs, and vanilla. So it's actually quite good. It's not overly sweet. It's not too coconut forward. I'm not a huge fan of coconut. You get a little bit on the back of it to dry out the whole experience. And it's an 8%, which we're going to need because it's Sheffield Wednesday against Stoke. Joining me with both beers and for Wednesday chat, first in New Jersey, it's Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeffrey. Um, you're going to hear some squeaking in the background because my dog just started biting his toy like he always does. Um, I am drinking a New Jersey beer company. It's called Far Out Radio Waves. Uh, I have no idea what the reference is to, but it's double dry hopped New England IPA, 6.5%. It's uh, quite clean, almost like a, a vice beer, almost. It's uh, very interesting for a New England IPA, uh, and it's very nice, quite refreshing. Always refreshing, in Queens, in a closet. It's James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Hello, chaps. Um, I've uh, I've decided to repeat my age-old uh, system of trying to get a beer to match the occasion. So in homage to today's events, I'm drinking a smoking comb. Uh, it doesn't say comb over, but it just says comb in, uh, in honor of uh, one Stephen Fletcher. It's a, a smoked virtual lager, also much like the virtual hairpiece that he's wearing, um, with honey from Astor Aperies, which is a, uh, a honey producer uh, just up in Astoria. Um, at 5.8%, it's actually pretty strong lager. It's almost like kind of drinking uh, an old school British kind of power lager, um, except it tastes like a smoked sausage. So I'm, uh, I'm still not really sure what I'm doing, but it's bloody good. It's both sweet and smoky at the same time. Sounds um, awful. Which is nothing like Stephen Fletcher. What's a virtual yeah. lager, by the way? Ah, now you get into really technical craft beer speak. So <laughs> lagering is a process He's that takes talking quite about a long Stoke, time. So go ahead, take your time. Or you can accelerate the process by using a particular form of yeast called a Kivekli yeast, which Jesus. achieves the same t- taste and flavor profile, but in like half the fermentation time. It's like that so. fake bourbon aging they do now. Basically, yeah. yeah. It means you can churn out more beer in a short space of time. So, yes, this is peak craft beer. It is a virtual lager. It has smoked honey in it, and it's delicious. So um, I'm halfway down this one. We'll uh, we'll see how many more it takes to talk about Stoke. We will start off talking about Stoke away. We'll cover the Wednesday news. I will try to soldier on without Justin for the Birmingham and Brentford previews. He helpfully sent along his notes, which is Brum, bad, Brentford, good. Will we do more than that? We'll see how long the show goes. We'll start with the Stoke talking points. This might be a little bit of a contentious opinion. I thought this was less pleasant to watch than the first one. I'm not going to say it was a worse game of football. I don't think it was a worse game of football. I don't know if I conceive of a worse game of football than the first Wednesday Stoke game. (laughs) And, you know, to be fair, Morgan Fox going off early. Stephen Fletcher lying on the ground for five minutes holding his leg and Wednesday conceding in the last 10 minutes of a match are all things we're intimately familiar with. And it just, it never felt, it felt like a fair result. The second half, it certainly felt like Stoke was going to get a goal and was good for a goal as Wednesday kind of forgot how to defend. We got the very famous donut formation at various times. We were inviting them in on the counterattack whether it was poor set pieces or just not particularly tidy in possession when Stoke pressed. And it, this was not like Dortmund classic Gengen pressing. They just kind of like tried to win the ball in midfield and we just kind of gave it back to them. So uh, there's really no excuse there. And I don't want to read too much into it. I think we all know we're in a relegation scrap and losing one nil 
away from home to a team, you know, 10, 15 spots ahead of us on the table isn't a death knell. I don't think it means more than it was a few dropped points, but it's very unpleasant to watch, James. It was incredibly unpleasant to watch. Um, I spent most of the game trying to weigh whether or not I should be paying attention to the meeting I was in or watching Wednesday. And um, I think I'm on record as saying that 12 months of Zoom calls for work is not uh, not necessarily the most um, exciting way of living a professional existence, but actually it was a whole lot more exciting than watching that game. Um, famously, Justin knows that I didn't watch the first Stoke game, so I'm afraid, Jeff, I can't attest to whether or not it was more or less boring than the first one. What I will say is it never really looked like Wednesday were going to score that one Liam Shaw chance aside. Um, and I think that was the frustrating part, that you know, as the, as the game wore on, a... Um, a draw seemed like it wouldn't be the worst result that we could take away from a Tuesday night in Stoke, the atypical cliche. Um, but also it became more and more apparent that we were definitely going to give Stoke plenty of chances to take the win. And Julie, they did. And Julie, the inevitable happened. And we never really looked like we were going to get back into the game. So it was, yeah, it was a frustrating one. Um, and I, I guess that probably is to be expected given the situation you're in. Like you said, Jeff, Guess what? We're in a relegation scrap, but points count and, and a point tonight would have been a good point. It was a real scrap, wasn't it? I feel like it, the first 60 minutes or so, there wasn't much football to be played at all. It was just a lot of running into each other and, and fights and kind of scuffs. And uh, I, think, I thought Lees and Origide played really well at the back to kind of handle what Stoke had to throw at us. Uh, I thought Hutch had a decent game combating in midfield too. Um but there wasn't much football breaking out, especially uh, in that first hour or so. And I just, yeah, I didn't ever see his scoring. We didn't look like um, Stoke were giving us as much room on the flanks as Wickham did and uh, Reach. So I think he had a very poor game uh, productively. I've got a question. Uh, Was Reach the left? Like I couldn't quite figure out the formation, especially at the back. I'll admit my mind was wandering at times while watching this too. But... It seemed to me like it started with a center back three of Lees, Dunkley, and Urgihide. That's what I think we're playing right now. Yeah, with yeah. the with the Harris and and Reach pushed up. Reach pushed yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Hutch, what... and Hutch dropped back after Dunkley was subbed off, which didn't yeah. make. I mean, the defensive shape just completely fell, and they were already getting pushed, and the defensive shape kind of. But I, I think that was the key that. point, though, Jeff, which, and Paddy and I were talking about this a little bit earlier on before we started recording, which is we often don't give the opposition quite so much credit as perhaps they deserve, but the Stoke press, kind of in Dortmund analogies aside, was it was effective in restricting our movement, and it certainly nullified the impact that we saw from Reach and from Harris in the last couple of games. Um and so, yeah, it, it kind of felt like a battle. To your point, Paddy, it didn't necessarily feel like one team was necessarily on top for 60 minutes, but we weren't getting a lot of play down the flanks in the way that we have been in recent recent matches. They just grind you down, don't they? I, I think that, that, this, it's really hard. I was saying to uh, James to pick out one guy on the Stoke team that had a really good game that kind of stopped it. It's just the way that they play is just so anti-football uh, and just throttle you and, until you, you, you make a mistake. And I thought for 80 minutes... Defensively, we were pretty good. Um, and it was a hopeful ball into the box, which for some bizarre reason, Patterson wins it and heads it down to Fletcher. Uh, I, I get it why he's trying to win it, but I feel like there's a better way for that to go rather than straight in front of goal. Uh, even also, Fletcher, Fletcher would, would have been clearly offside if it hadn't come off Patterson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and even Fletcher's finish was a scuff. It was a scruffy kind of like thing, which just kind of, I think, didn't help Westwood uh, stand the chance. He kind of like wrong-footed him, almost like like Patterson did against the keeper uh, a few weeks ago. So yeah, not a, not a pretty goal, not a pretty game. Uh, really, uh, my talking point was around the substitutions, uh, and I think uh, Jeff just touched upon it. Uh, moving Hutch into that back three and bringing Pelopesi into midfield effectively just killed anything. Uh, it made our defense less stable. It made our midfield less productive, which was a, a very low bar to aim for originally anyway. Um, I, I put down that just very simply, Pelipas's passing was god-awful. A number of times he would just... I don't know. It's like he got a spoonful of eggs. He'll just side foot 
a ball and it'll go six feet over the guy's head, like from 10 yards away. I, I don't understand how he can still be a professional footballer. I understand he's a, he's a hassler, he's a hustler, and he kind of like, I don't know, he runs a lot. But you can't be a footballer if you can't pass the ball from 10 yards away. It's just, it blows my mind. The um, thing that drives me nuts about him, and this has been the case for years, is you're right, there's not, he's an engine, he works hard. His positional awareness isn't even that bad. <laughs> it's not great, but it's not, like... He has the the basic skill set, I think, to be a very, very average championship midfielder. But for whatever reason, like his internal clock, like the kind of reading you have of the game and the time on the ball and how much time you have on the ball and how quick your decision making has to be, just seems to be a null set. He's just not able to do it. Yeah, I, I don't get it. And then like I say, when he's coming on, when we're chasing a game... It just—it's not inspiring. The, the thing that bothered me about that is, and look, I don't know if if Dunkley picked up a knock. Fine, obviously he's coming off literally two broken legs, so his fitness might be an issue, even with the extra time off since the game got postponed on Saturday. But like, you know, you uh, you mentioned Lee's and Rigahidi already, but I thought Dunkley was very good in defense as well and has been sort of a an anchor for that center back three the last few games. And like, if he can't play 90 minutes, that's a real problem. Just, I yeah. think, gen- in general, going forward with the density of the fixture schedule because it did kind of lose its shape after that. And it just kind of never... It, they never got the spacing right, basically. Uh, between the three of them and, and opened up some stuff down the channel reach i thought i mean ergahide was getting just absolutely abused down the channel towards the end of the game because reach was basically nowhere to be found defensively i don't know if that's because they were pushing or, or what but it just seemed very kind of like slipshod for the last half hour or so reach did nothing today other than boot the ball in the air several times uh and it's so so frustrating because he had a good game on that wing um I think against Wickham, maybe before that too. And he'll just go missing for, for games and just be useless. And he's clearly got talent. He's one of the most, I think he's one of the most frustrating players we've had in our, in the last like five years. You see, I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't agree that it's necessarily a function of reach. Um, I think it's much more a function of what you've just been describing, which is a series of misfiring elements within the midfield. So like, I, I think about systems and I think about symptoms. So si- reach not being effective consistently is a symptom. The system is our midfield and the system doesn't work. We don't, we don't have a consistent midfield unit. We don't have a style of play that suits those midfielders. And we keep on swapping the parts in and out in the hope of trying to make it work. So we'll substitute in Pelopesi or we'll slip Hutchinson back into defense or we'll try and play the wingback system for a few games. But we just, I think we need to acknowledge that we've got parts, but not the sum of the parts for a midfield. And so that's why we get misfiring performances. Speaking of balls randomly kicked into the air, James, your talking point is on Wednesday's set pieces. It's kind of the same theme, right? Which is, and I think Paddy hit on it, which is, you know, when you see Wednesday chasing a game, your first instinct isn't, hey, we're going to get something, we're going to get back into this. And like, you know, when the opposition score a shoddy goal at 80 minutes, there's still time. There's still time to get an equaliser. You know, Wednesday piled the pressure on, you can get a result at Stoke. Um, and we had the chances. What what do we have in the last five minutes? We had a couple of free kicks edge of the box. We had a couple of corners. You know, first half, Bannon actually puts a really good ball onto Liam Shaw's head for the chance that I think hits the bar, right? I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a good delivery by Barry Bannon's standards from corners of late. Um, but then post-goal, show me one of those deliveries that really looks like it's absolutely perfect. Maybe the one that Tom Lee should do better with. I don't know. But you don't, you're not filled with confidence that we're going to be able to pull something out of the bag, that we're going to create a chance, a scramble in the box, get that goal that kind of, you know, pulls the point back. I just think with the number of free hits that we got, essentially, we we just don't do well enough with those opportunities. Um, and it's it's such a source of frustration because you're sitting there in the 89th, the 91st, the 93rd, and you're thinking, yeah, we've got a shot at this, but we're not going to get anything out of it. I mean, the Rhodes goal was like the la- first goal we'd scored in the last 15 minutes. 
in like a year or something. And it's not like we haven't been playing from behind or trying to get a result or pushing for a result in many, many games over the last year. They just haven't had the wherewithal or the technique or the, well, really anything in the final third and that's not even limited to the last 15 minutes. But to get those equalizers or late winners or anything, really. But you're right, they never looked like scoring for 90 minutes, so why would it be any different in the last five? No, we didn't. And uh, what's weird there, I come out of this game, and whether it's just I've been worn down with the predictability of some of these performances, I just didn't feel that bothered by it. I didn't feel like, yes, I know we're in a relegation scrap, but I'm pretty weirdly confident we're going to survive this relegation scrap. And that's because... I've seen the state of this championship. Stoke are ninth place fucking team. They're, it's symbolic, isn't it? How, how is that edge of the playoffs? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cardiff were a re- flirting relegation a few like a month ago. They've employed Mick McCarthy. Now they're three points from sixth place. Uh, Derby are counting now sixteenth place because they won like four in a row. It's just like this is not a tough league. This is a terrible league. And we're a terrible team, but thankfully there's a shit ton more teams that are bad too. Paddy, we, we started this season with six points less than everyone else and we're competitive <laughs> against relegation. So like, no, it's, it's a really shit league. I mean, it, it's incredible to some extent that we're still in contention for a series of interconnected events, but you're absolutely right. You've only got to put a run together. Um, but there was something entirely predictable about us going to Stoke who haven't won a game all year. Um, and then promptly losing. I think we all knew that was going to happen, right? So you chalk that one up and you go on to the next one. But yeah, you've only got to run three, four games and all of a sudden you've got a fighting chance. No question. Well, we'll take a break now. We'll come back with the Wednesday news and preview two more games against terrible championship teams. Now it's time for some Wednesday news, and we'll start with the game we didn't review in the first half of the show, even after previewing it last week, as the Swansea game was postponed due to a frozen pitch. Patty. Um, yeah, it confused you, you, you me. You dug one. into this, so. It, it confused me. Um, I mean, originally we just got told that, right? We just got told that mm. I had it was a nice frozen. leisurely Saturday morning, made breakfast, <laughs> coffee didn't watch wednesday lose 3-1 to swansea you know what i watched so many bad games of football on that weekend in, mm. in some kind of like gap in my life because i, I miss wednesday uh end up watching lots of premier league games which weren't great um but yeah it's 2021 how have we got a stadium that hasn't got a working under soil heating I don't get it. We paid, what, how many? A million pounds? James, would you like to jump in there? <laughs> We're a million pounds, spent that pitch. A field Wednesday. <laughs> so uh, there was, I'm trying to find the journalist that dug deep into this. And when I say dug deep, I mean into his depths of why he's covering Sheffield Wednesday still and found out the full reasons why um, we haven't got a working, functioning undersoil heating. Uh, but apparently it broke, I think is the uh, short version of the story. It broke a, a couple of months ago and they got told they would take like a year to fix. Um, so they just didn't fix it. Um, so that's why we had undersoil heating problems and we haven't been able to defrost a pitch in 2021. And uh, can we point to the irony? For anyone who's not familiar with undersoil heating technology, it runs thus. A pipe is snaked through the soil. Hot water is piped through the pipe. Hot water stops the ground from basically freezing. Now, what's the one thing Wednesday have a real problem supplying in great quantities around the ground? Hot water. (laughs) So who's surprised? Come on. This is not a surprise. This is Sheffield Wednesday. We haven't had any people in the North Stand, though, for ages. So surely that that, that hot water uh, tank must be full up by that point. We've only got one boiler. You've got to put (laughs) coins in the meter to get it going. I mean, come on. It was stealing from the chip shop down the road. <laughs> hey, to be fair, weren't like Rotherham also frozen out? I mean, yes. you know, this was a this was the great South Yorkshire freeze of 2021. No, I'm told it was very cold. Um, but like I say, when you pay that many uh, that many pounds to uh, a pitch to be heated, and Rotherham's was also a strange one for me. Rotherham's uh, ground is like one of the newest in the leagues. How are they not? Are they broke there? How does heating too? Hold on, buddy. This 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 may require some explanation for Jeff, but I think we need to talk about the actual 
the temperatures that Sheffield and the surrounding areas were afflicted with last weekend. I believe that the mercury hit somewhere around like what twenty five degrees Fahrenheit. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't anything like what we've suffered over the last month here. No, it wasn't particularly cold at all. But nothing over there is built for anything below about zero degrees centigrade. So there you go. Yeah, it's like Did Texas. they all just use the same dodgy South Yorkshire contractor to install this. <laughs> Probably yeah. <laughs> That's why you got a quote for like, oh, I'll take about 18 months to fix this. It was deep plumbing. <laughs> we have some uh, player movement news. I won't call it transfer news. I guess it's technically a free transfer. Uh, Liam Shaw is going to Celtic. He is out of contract in the summer and has agreed to a free contract with the Scottish Premiership team. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. I don't think... Any of us can only blame Liam Shaw for having his head turned by Celtic and when Wednesday probably could not offer him remotely similar wages at this point in his career, perhaps at any point in his career. Um, so this now goes to a tribunal, something Wednesday is intimately familiar with at this point, I would assume. But, you know, it's not ideal. Uh, he looked for all the world to be a key cog in the midfield and future teams. But, you know, this is what happens when... And to be fair to Liam Shaw, um, he's also probably looking around and seeing players not getting their full salaries for the month on a regular basis and thinking, well, even if they offer me a similar contract, I'm actually going to see that money on time. So yeah, that's uh, that's the state of Sheffield Wednesday right now. It's sad when the most of our incomes come from tribunal fees of the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> when we could have actually got some decent cash for these players if we had uh, some kind of uh, strategic... Or could uh, have signed them to... I mean, uh, this, this goes to that as well, but signed them to long-term contracts because we identified them as potentially good players. I will and, speak out here. Obviously, we, we identified the talent in uh, Cameron Dawson and uh, really hammered him down to a long contract. So uh, we're looking forward to that next uh, big bid for him going from Celtic. <laughs> Have we covered this ground before? I think we have. Um, you, I, I think kind of it's interesting, Jeff, because like you introed this by saying, "No, to be fair to Liam Shaw, no one can blame Liam Shaw." Guess what? A bunch of Sheffield Wednesday Prime fans media. are blaming <laughs> Liam Shaw. They're saying Liam Shaw should not play again this season. Blah blah blah. Bollocks! Liam Shaw is playing for a team scrapping for survival in the championship that can't play its players can't pay its players and certainly doesn't seem to have a long-term structure around how it's going to be able to play its players either well exactly so you know of course he's going to do the right thing by his career he's also a Sheffield Wednesday fan and he's on record saying look I want to stay here to the end of the season I want to make sure we avoid relegation so give the kid his dues for doing the right thing by his career and the fact that he wants to play for Wednesday and help us through this. And if he's willing to put his body on the line to do that, then all the better. I didn't see anything in today's performance suggest he's anything other than 100% committed. And there so were plenty of Wednesday veterans. just need to give him a break. I'm, there were plenty of out-of-contract no veterans last summer that were yeah, making off. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. So no, I have no this isn't about Liam Shaw. This yeah, is about Shaw for Wednesday. Right. It's, a, it's an overarching problem. And you're going to see this probably in the near future with players like Ergahide. Penny's out of contract. This year as well. Yeah, he signed an extension, but I think it was only one year. Um, they have to get this stuff sorted out. It can't just be about the next, you know, what you're bringing in in the next transfer window. You have to look at the squad itself and figure out, you know, you have to, it's something that James likes to mention on occasion on this podcast, have some sort of long-term plan. You can have a long-term plan or you can just basically talk to your employees about how they're valued and you can give them a, a sense of how their career is going to develop within the organization that you're running right i mean or you cannot do that and then don't be surprised if they go and work elsewhere which is basically what's happening right also you know the four different managers that liam shaw has had this season all might have had separate uh ideas of his worth best position and and how much he might be playing in the Near term and long term. So there is that. Stability is hard to come by. Also hard to come by unless you've got 60 quid burning a hole in your pocket is a Sheffield Wednesday shirt, Patty. Yeah, this is the one, two, three blow in this new segment, which I think is going to lead uh, nicely to a tee up for James. Um, so 
there's a thing I post on Twitter which has got a lot of traction. I think Fudge posted from Wednesday week uh, about uh, the price of uh, kits in the EFL uh, Championship. And uh, no surprise, we are the most expensive kits, both home and away, £59. Um, and uh, on full price, most um, the league, is a, I think the most is £50 elsewhere. But the thing that really hurts now is that, uh, obviously, when you get midway through the season, what you expected to see if you're in a, a normal club is you get discounts on your um, on your kits. So most teams now have got kits like 25 quid and 30 quid and 35 quid because they know they're going out of season next time around. Town, Huntersville Town, got 24 quid for their home share at the moment. Yeah, it's a crap shirt. But, I mean, still, it's, it's almost a third of the price of what we're paying for uh, our shirts. It and looks a I, bit like a Wednesday shirt, in fairness. So. <laughs> we could probably go for it, yeah. If you, pay, if you paint another blue stripe on it, it might be all right. Um, at, look, I want to point the line. I actually really like this, this, these uh, seasons shirts. And that's not the problem here. Design-wise, I think both of the shirts are really nice. The problem we have here... I mean, design-wise, is... we can never wear the away kit because it clashes with everybody <laughs> yeah. else's kit in the league. <laughs> yeah. The, the away shirt is great for night out, not great for play footballing. Um, so, Yeah. It's just it boggles the mind. If you look at if you if you go into uh, we'll retweet this as well on our account. Uh, but if you follow Danford, you'll see it already. It, it is a real kind of like. Uh, what do you think the overlap is of people that don't uh, that follow Owls America and don't follow Dan Fudge? Yeah, probably uh, quite a high overlap there. Um, so yeah, it's just another kind of thing where you think, what are we doing? What is what is our strategy? Uh, is the one. Um, not even selling like the eighty quid, well, like athletic fit one anymore. No, well, yeah, that's, I feel like it's split the difference going for sixty quid for the the cheap one. It's just uh, we've no. We've you want to get to the higher order point here now, Paddy? Yes, 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 please. Right. So the higher order point, and so I'm going to contradict myself for a second. I always say we don't have a strategy, right? It's actually not fair. We do have a strategy. Our strategy is to milk every single opportunity we can for its maximum but only from our only from the fans only from the fans if we we employ the same strategy to the rest of the uh, uh, business we might not be in the situation we're in you could say that if we applied it to the players yes although to be fair we um, we certainly maximize our sponsorship up to fair market value by paying for it ourselves um I mean, you know, we could keep on going on these things, but let's talk about the fan piece because the fan piece is the heart of the problem. Sheffield Wednesday is a club that's founded on community. It's founded on its fans. It's founded in a part of the world where it matters how you show up and who you show up with and how you interact with other people. Those are fundamental values that kind of embed in our history and embed in the way in which we interact with one another as Wednesdayites and the way we expect our club to be run. And at a time where innumerate number of numbers of people are struggling for basic income are struggling for a job are struggling for the ability to know what the future holds to expect them to pay 69 70 pounds for a football shirt for a club that's at the bottom end of the championship for something that's built off a brand name that we've created that doesn't exist that has no currency outside of the world of sheffield wednesday is mesmerizing in its intent and completely missing the point in terms of a connection with the fan base so everything you're saying is, I'm afraid, just it, it's part of the fundamental problem, which is we don't have a connection. We don't really understand what it is to be Sheffield Wednesday at the moment. And the commercial operation of the club reflects that. Now, we can get into the much bigger conversation about whether or not we're able to monetize players and whether we really understand the business model and whether we can generate revenue sustainably. But I think it starts at square one, which is I don't think we really understand what it is to be this club at the moment. It's, what really gets my go about this, James, is that um, uh, when you hear these conferences and these fans forums with Chancery, he'll talk a lot about fans not spending enough, right? You'll 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 say a lot about fans. The 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 price per head. If you go into Hillsborough, he wants it to be two pounds. People spend two pounds at least per head. That gets us into a good situation, but it's small change. This is small change. If he managed the business and his players. And his transfer policy, and had some kind of like, I don't know, maybe a sporting director or some kind of like CEO in place that looked at the finances of when to sell a player and when to buy a player and blah blah blah. 
he would get much more income than he's getting from the fans at the moment. And he can't continue to blame the fans for the lack of income at Sheffield Wednesday. He's got to start looking inward. No, of course. It's, it's called a leverage model. So you can either leverage the fan base, which has incredible limitations, basically breaks all your relationships and gets you into a position like we're in today, or you can leverage the monetizable income that you can develop from TV, from player sales, and from sustainable uh, sustainable operations. And we, we just simply have it completely the wrong way around. To make it about how much revenue you generate per fan in a city like Sheffield, in an economy like South Yorkshire, in a community like Sheffield Wednesday, is, is completely 180 degrees away from where we should be. And... Yeah, look, I, I know we talk about this all the time and I know we I, I bang on about the Brentford model and we'll talk about Brentford in the upcoming previews, but we have to address this because until we address it, we will not move forward. Barring a complete miracle, and I'm talking not Tom Brady reaching the Super Bowl and winning it again, I'm talking something of completely absurd sporting proportion. Sheffield Wednesday will not get out of this hole until we address the of how we run this club. End of and you can buy as many, you can sell as many of these shirts at a premium as you want. It's And as you point out, it's simply not going to move the needle on the overall financial structure of the club. And that's not just, you know, player transfer monies, although they need a better transfer policy and they need to be able to afford, you know, if you have aspirations to get out of the league, you need to be able to afford the type of player that can spur you onward. But just the overall, like, structural issues of the club they need a better use setup they need a better training ground the stadium look the stadium needs to be a facelift let's be let's be nice right they they could do some nice things to that park that don't involve you know a, a full tear down and rebuild or moving down the street or you know some of this some of the things that other clubs at this general level have done that costs a lot of money and yeah selling you know, better transfer policy will move the needle there. I don't even think they have to be Brentford in a in a perfect world, but they need to really look at where they can get significant revenue from. And the extra 17 quid per shirt or whatever is just not going to really move the needle. I get the idea that you want the fans to be invested. You want them to have some skin in the game but i don't think that skin is necessarily going to be financial it's just it 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 should not that it shouldn't be like whatever you go to the game buy a program buy a pie assuming you can get a pie no hot water i don't know how they keep them warm but you're just not like the idea of the the fan as the customer which i think is certainly chancery's view and it's a view that is rampant uh, throughout sports. You know, not just English football at, at every level, but I certainly see it. And I cover baseball for a living, and I certainly see it here. The idea of creating, I guess it's like luxury or premium experiences at the park. Uh, I know I see it's in baseball a lot. The idea that they are fine having a smaller attendance, but having those people pay money for luxury boxes or or better seats or like premium experiences in general. And I just don't think that's not, I don't think that translates to the the match day experience for English football or really uh, football anywhere, to be honest. It's just not. It is a meat and potato sport. Again, you probably can't get the meat and potato pie, (laughs) but you wouldn't want to, Jay. after effects so the idea is like he wants them to spend two dollars per head or whatever that's what it well here's the thing if you make the ticket price 10 pounds cheaper ahead you'll probably get more inside the stadium and you'll get more people inside the stadium it's not just that he needs to change and this is and this is going to be addressed by the engagement forum i assume as well and the agenda points that they put forward there uh it's not just about taking money off the match ticket prices and they'll spend more inside. People try to spend more inside. They can't because there's the, nothing to buy. There's nothing to buy. The, the queues are ridiculous. The, the cash system's ridiculous. The people behind the counter don't know what they're doing. It, it is a, a logistical nightmare uh, to get, to get, to give Sheffield Wednesday money once you're in that stadium. And 
ask if people ask people that want to give you money. Then there's a whole other group of people that won't give you money because it's, they don't want to pay for what you've got. Uh, it's it's not just about freeing money up so they spend money inside. There's a whole raft of things they need to be doing uh, to engage customers uh, customers inside there. Uh, but even that that small change, like I say, until they resolve the transfer policy and the way they run their business, they should not complain about the fans not putting money into this club. And I get that it, there's it, wider structural problems in lower league football right now with uh, not being, you know, they're more dependent on live attendance than the Premier League is, which has all of these lucrative TV contracts that they can fulfill whether there's fans there or not. And, you know, not just Wednesday, there's plenty of clubs that are feeling the squeeze right now in the championship and below. And, you know, to Chan Series credit, I think business has pretty much proceeded as usual throughout this. I mean, it's not good, but as usual. Uh, there has not been any, you know, we've talked about the, you know, sort of inconsistent payment of the salaries, but as far as I know, they are all eventually getting paid. I know there are clubs that are having far more serious financial issues than Wednesday are through all of this, but these are just, these should be the easy wins for the club from a, you know, a PR and a commercial standpoint. So maybe that's the best place to end on Jeff, which is they should be the easy wins. If you recognize why they're the right things to do. Whereas if your attitude is that they're the demanded things to do, it's not a conversation. And I think that's actually that's my fundamental concern with this this whole process that's going on right now with the fan engagement forum. I don't critique that. I think it's good that there's outreach. I think it's good that there's dialogue. But I'm not seeing any signals that there's an intention to apply the outcomes of those conversations in the way the club is run. And unless the club changes direction fundamentally, then all of the issues that we've just been discussing are going to continue to pervade. There's two choices for Wednesday. Either the current owner changes direction in a position that would make everything we've just said redundant, or we need a different owner. Well, start spending for those shirts because Wednesday are interested in a League One striker, apparently. They have been linked to Luke Jeffcott from Plymouth Argyle who's already bagged 16 goals in 22 appearances there. So we looked it up. We tried to figure out the last time Wednesday have signed a quality League One striker, and uh, it looks like it's Steve McLean. How much did it cost, by the way, Steve McLean? It's a couple million, wasn't it? Well, Jeff's going to go to Wikipedia. I will not go to Wikipedia, which I've No, shit! I should have not asked that. <laughs> How do you Steve know his cues? Stephen McLean... <laughs> Can we do that kind of like uh, hold music? Dum, ba, dum, 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 oh, yes. okay. So it's an undisclosed fee believed to be around 125,000 pounds. Bargain. I, I think Luke Jeffcott is going to be a little bit more than that, is my suspicion. Which is why the link to him is complete bullshit. I mean, we're not going to spend money on anybody. And there's already clubs sniffing around that have money to spend and that have a serious uh, proposition for him rather than us. Uh, so it's, also, nice it's February. Like, <laughs> you know, our issue is not in June. Our issue is like in the next three months. So <laughs> no, come on. Jen. Well, we already know he's a proven yeah. uh, goal scorer in league one. That might be useful. The, the fact that we, uh, what is flattering to us is that someone, uh, it's just someone more or less that... bullshit than the Jamie Vardy to Wednesday rumor. Patty. <laughs> it is. Uh, God, that's really bullshit. Um, no, what is flattering to us is that one thing somewhere that we're planning more than three months ahead, James. Uh, <laughs> so that's what makes it even less believable that we can spend money on a League One striker. Is that someone somewhere has thought, ah, Sheffield Wednesday in for him? Uh, I don't see that happening either. I don't think we've also had a striker with a goal scoring record better than Steve McLean since then. It's 32 and 83. I know people out there are going to say a lot of those were penalties, but hey, we used to get penalties and he scored them. <laughs> All 
I now realize I have navigated away from the agenda, so I don't know what's next. Oh, it's your favorite. Uh, manager odds. Oh, there's no more manager odds. <laughs> right. I went and looked them up before the uh, show started, and they're gone. Uh, because uh, Neil, Neil Thompson, Thompson officially our manager. Well, he is. So he is because he's managed ten games and they didn't replace him, which I guess is the. Uh, it's like the com- He's our common law manager now. <laughs> he won't actually say he's the yeah, full time manager. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. We've got a squatter in charge. I'll yeah. take that. He has squatter's rights over uh, <laughs> the manager's box at Hillsborough. In the, in the eyes of the betters uh, in the betting sites, he's now got squatter's rights. So I think if you had Neil Thompson did, did, did as pay the out? next manager. No, yeah. If you had Neil Thompson as the next manager yeah. Wednesday, you'd get paid out for that. Yeah. Congratulations to anyone that was degenerate enough to bet on the next <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday manager. I mean, it was the obvious answer all along. I mean, it, it involved the least amount of efforts. I mean, chairman. they're entirely capable of freaking bringing in any of the myriad names we've mentioned over the last uh... i wonder if for the next like few months uh thompson's gonna be on this same contract with the, the the possibility of being fired at any point to be replaced by some random european manager that's occasionally managed in the saudi arabian league we'll move from new managers to new matches and we will start with the birmingham preview patty six points right guys are you excited this is a fun one hmm. um the, the, the thing that's going against us is that Birmingham are really bad uh, and they're on a terrible streak. They've only won one in the last 13 and we all know that that doesn't bode well uh, for us. Um, we, we're the most generous club in the league. Um, they even lost to Luton tonight. Um, they're as bad at scoring as we are. They've uh, got seven goals in the last 13 games. Scott Hogan is a top scorer with five. Um, but yeah, not great. I mean, Callum Patterson's got more than that. Uh, they are at home, but, which is they've actually played well there recently. Yeah, so. we we are at home. Uh, we uh, Fortress Hillsborough, is it? I think they call it nowadays. Um, I've looked into a bit of Justin style um, previews, guys. With Justin away, so um, apparently their uh, style of play they attack down the left. They prefer the left hand side of things. A uh, lot of long balls, play with width. Um, they've done a lot of rotation uh, and their aggressive style of play. Now I feel like this is a kind of uh, catch-all for any shit team in the championship because probably pick those five bullet points out and say the same thing for us or for uh, I don't know, Wickham maybe as well too. Um, so all there was literally no, nothing to fear from Birmingham. You can say that about us, should, yes, that's one. <laughs> the only should fear the fact that they've been on a bad run. That's the, that's the biggest fear we have against Birmingham. Uh, it's a home game, we were good at home. I don't I really think we should be winning this. Uh, can, can we be a bit more assertive, Paddy? This one is a must-win. Yeah, yeah, it really right. is. Right. I mean, seriously, I, I'm, look, there's a lot of games in the championship that could go either way, and you know, if we do our job, then this isn't really an issue for relegation because, as we've said earlier, it's a it's a pretty average league. But we have to beat Birmingham. Like if if we're going to get out of this, we have to be winning at home against Birmingham City or on an abject run of form. I will say, generally um, speaking, I don't even see this Stoke performance was terrible, but Wednesday have huh. been able to respond after losses fairly well under Thompson. I think that's fair. Um, they they certainly did after the Coventry result. Um, they responded well again after the Millwall game. So yeah, I mean, I mean the Millwall game that, was that a, has a result. Be, the yeah, next yeah. game after Millwall was at home against a bad team like this is so. Yeah, I, I genuinely am predicting us to win this game. Um, do you think they'll? I, do you think they'll basically roll with the same lineup again? You think there's a tweak in here that will unlock something? That's just a good point. I don't. I I think it wasn't necessarily uh, Stoke. The way they set up there against us today is not was never going to work for us. Uh, the way that Stoke play. Uh, like James said earlier on, we thrive more against teams that uh, are more attacking and open rather than those that can't shut us down. We have no answer to people that shut us down. Uh, what teams with back lines that Patterson can beat for pace? <laughs> yeah, uh, looking at like Birmingham's weaknesses, and this is through whoscore.com, they're bad at defending set pieces. They're bad at uh, defending against long shots. They're bad against skillful players. I mean, the movable object against the resistible force there. <laughs> yeah, they, they, you could literally write out some of these things. They're really bad at fouling in dangerous areas. So maybe we get a penalty. 
I think that's our best shot, right? I mean, quite literally, um, because let's be clear, we aren't going to score from set pieces. We aren't I mean, going to score best, from long shots our, and we don't yeah. have a lot of skillful players. We just got to hope we have penalty guys. Yeah. Or Patterson just sort of like bungling the ball over the line from three yards out. But yeah. that, that's got to that's be the game plan, right? Let's get a shoddy Patterson goal in the first half, followed by a consolidation in the second half, 2-0 Wednesday, and away we go. And away yeah, we go to Wednesday afternoon at the Brentford Community Stadium. I'm actually like, I have not, I don't think I've, I've watched a little bit of Brentford this year, but I don't think I've seen him at home yet. So I have no idea what this park looks like. Rotherham. Uh, it's like Rotherham's ground. Of course it, it looks does. like Rotherham look with multicolored seats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look, I mean, so, so for the uninitiated, I mean, there are Griffin so Park many had things. so much character. There's so much to unpack here, yeah. right? I mean, for starters, Brentford, probably the most classy team in the division. Um, and we're on record as basically kind of, you know, fanboying, fangirling their entire football slash business. One of us so is, Everybody knows we love Brentford. <laughs> but there's another reason to love Brentford, which is their fan base. Um, and, you know, Wednesday have had innumerable wonderful days out there, both wonderful days out when we've won in the playoffs in 2005 and wonderful days out when we've been battered <laughs> like last season. Um, in fact, I don't think there were that many fans. Well, maybe there were fans in actually before lockdown. Um, I think it was the last game before lockdown. Yeah. It was the last <laughs> game, I think Jeff, before everybody got shut in the houses for 12 months. Um, the new stadium is, you know, it, it's kind of a hard thing for Brentford, I think, because it doesn't have the spirit, the character of the four pubs on four corners, the kind That's of you know, the You're just like... tightly packed community stadium but it has been built with the same spirit they have tried to kind of keep it as a community yeah, you're just not going to build a stadium like that in 2020 is the problem you know of course you're not no and and to be fair it's got a little bit of character to it but it does look a bit like Rotherham. um yeah. football on the pitch though is really good um better than like Rotherham. Them, they are where they are by merit <laughs> so so give you some scary stats uh scary stats number one uh brentford has got 18 goals in the last six games We've scored 21 goals in all our games. That's 29 games. Ivan Tony has scored more goals than our entire team. That is uh, Justin's player of the year, I think. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, 23 goals Ivan Tony's got. Uh, when you look at who scored at come for uh, the style of play, whereas Birmingham had 20 points all in the negative, Brentford have 20 points all in the positive. Uh, very good at uh, attacking through the middle, short passing, possession football. We we know this. We've seen them play against us. But we said it earlier on in the, the half year, half season review. By far the best playing football team we've seen against us. Um, where if if Rome, if Birmingham was a six pointer, this is a zero pointer. Like hammered on. We we've got nothing to gain. We've got nothing to lose from this. We might as well yeah. go for it. Um, they play four three three with uh, Canos and Bomo flanking Ivan Tony up front. Uh, Canos has uh, been playing fantastically for them on the left-hand side. Um, so you might be asking yourselves, like, yes, they're one of the best teams in the league, but Barnsley FC beat them 2-0 <laughs> last time around. Barnsley How looked pretty Bar- good against us too, to be fair. So. <laughs> That's not a benchmark to go for. How did, but how did Barnsley beat them? So I looked on, again, I'm impressed. I understand where Justin gets his stats from now. I'm going to plug this to website, whoscored.com again, because it tells you how uh, teams kind of like get at the other team. And Barnsley, Barnsley got them down the wings. They pressed them on the ball and they took their chances. It was kind of like something like that. Yes, they may have been lucky. They had less chance, less shots on target than um, the Brentford did, but they took the chances. They pressed them and they attacked down the wings. So we've, there's, a, there's a very, very, very small blueprint to beat Brentford. But if Barnsley can one, do it... For one, I am I'm staking my bet on Paddy Jones to be the next Sheffield Wednesday manager, <laughs> aided and abetted by whoscored.com. Uh, we said the link to uh, Neil Thompson. The day when we are looking to Barnsley for tips on how to win girls and influence people is, uh, is also concerning. Um, but hey, you know, like you said, Paddy, it's a zero-pointer, so anything is a bonus. I will just point out that the uh, Champions League games that Wednesday that you can watch instead of Sheffield Wednesday against Brentford are uh, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Man City and Atalanta against Real Madrid. I mean, oh, shit. Atalanta and Real Madrid may have fewer goals in it than Brentford tearing apart the Sheffield Wednesday defense, though. So. You know, I, I, ten- I technically finish early on Wednesdays. I can finish at 3 p.m. Hmm. So I could legally watch the whole, like, well, 
second half without being in trouble with the work, but I feel like I might want to avoid this one. Patty, do we have any other business? Any other business? No, we have no other business. Not even a New Orleans Owl meetup this time around because Mardi Gras shut the entire New Orleans <laughs> city down. Like a two-week a two-week two lockdown in New Orleans because of Mardi Gras. They don't want people getting out in the streets and having a good time. I'll tell you what, Paddy, what sort of vagabond group of people would rock up in New Orleans <laughs> around the time of Mardi Gras when a global pandemic was starting to rage? I mean, you know, who would do that? Hey, we did it and we survived it. So we're Owls Americas. <laughs> this has been episode 127 of the Owls Americas. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Owls Americas. Our podcast and intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdays driving to the makers. The podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls of Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdays find our ramblings. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, have you looked at any of the Zillow links that we've been sending you? Uh, I'm particularly taken by the uh, derelict crypt in Brooklyn that Paul is uh, is keen that I move into. Um, I am offering births to any errant New York owls or basically travelers who want to hang out in the... From um, Carpathia, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is how movies start. And thanks, Jeff, for that haunted house in Connecticut also. Um, (laughs) The family are inspired by the prospects of what may or may not live in the attic. Patty is on Twitter at New York Owls and at Patty A. Jones. Patty, I don't really have a question. Oh, what? That's the first. That's first. I don't really have a question. Go Uh, to bed. I I will ask you, did you uh, check on uh, Preslav Borokov's Etar this week? (laughs) No, I did not. They lost 6-0 to Ludogratz. Oh shit! Yeah, not what you want. Maybe that's going to affect his stats in the top six. Uh, I don't know if he got a shot. So under twenty-one effective league, whatever it is, they're only inefficient if you miss the shots you take. I guess. True. <laughs> sure. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Federastro. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>